Well, for those of you who are new or, and maybe don't know me, my name is Gary. I'm one of the elders here at uh, SFC, and it's my turn to get to bring the message to you. I always look forward to that. It's a real privilege. Speaking of elders, uh, we are having one of our monthly meetings this afternoon. I just wanted to mention that to you because, uh, you know, the past few months, the elders have had a lot to do, a lot on our plate, and uh, we so appreciate the support that you've given to us, and we appreciate your prayers. So one of the things we'll do this afternoon is meet with Beth Ann as she prepares to leave, maybe have a little commissioning of her. Those are kind of fun things to do. So we do appreciate uh, your prayer support for that. <clears throat> Those of you who do know me know that I kind of entered into full-time ministry very late in life, and the first job I had was as an executive director of a Bible camp. Echo Ranch Bible Camp in Alaska. And uh, as I was meeting with the retiring director, a man named Dean, I've talked about him before, as I was beginning to take over, Dean shared with me a letter he had received from a former camper, a youth camper who'd been there every year. Now he was graduating from high school, was going on to college, and apparently a Christian college, because uh, the application that he had filled out asked about his church affiliation, and they wanted a pastoral reference. Now, this young man was from what we call a bush community. He was way out there in a remote area, actually lived in a logging camp, I think. And he put on his application that his church was Echo Ranch Bible Camp, and that Dean was his pastor. Well, Dean wrote back to him and said, no, no, it doesn't, that's not what's going on here. He said, we, our ministry is to support the church. We are not the church. And as a matter of fact, we always encourage campers to go home and kind of plug back into their community and, and get involved in a local church. Well, the young man wrote back, and he said, well, Echo Ranch is the closest thing I've ever been to a church. He, he didn't really know what a church was, never really been in a local church. And I got to thinking about that. How, how would you define the local church to this young man? What would your definition be? Now, I know some of you have kind of grown up in the church and you know the definition, even the theological one, the ecclesia, the called out assembly of believers, and it also applies to the universal body of believers, those who've accepted Christ. But how would you explain that in layman's term to this young man? Or maybe closer to home, how would you explain it to somebody around here who's totally unchurched? They just think of the church as a building. What would your definition be? I have a definition that I use. It's uh, You'll probably not find it in the literature, but I think it's biblically correct as far as it goes. I like to think of the church, the local church, as a community of believers employing their spiritual gifts to carry out God's work. Community of believers exercising their gifts. And I like that definition because I believe the Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit has given each and every believer a special gift to use in building up the church. And if you've ever been involved in a church where it's lacking spiritual gifts, 
but people are not exercising theirs, then it's not a very healthy church. They're not functioning 100%. The verse in the 52 series that I've chosen for this week has to do with your spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4.10 is just one of many verses that speak to this, and I believe it should get our attention because at this time we're focusing on community. We just started our community groups this week. And that, de- and that definition I've been using, we are a community of believers, each of us having a gift that we can use. And Peter says, this is what we do. By the way, I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning, one of my favorite translations. And Peter says it this way, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, it's exciting to think about this community of believers and how you've empowered each of us with some supernatural ability to serve one another, not to serve ourselves, but to work in the community, to work in the church, to lift it up, to build it up, to serve one another. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us during this hour that as we learn about our gifts and we learn how to um, use them, how to find them, and that we just dedicate this study of the scriptures to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think the New Testament gives us several basic principles concerning our gifts that are necessary for this community to function well. And the first point I'd like to make is that it has to do with the importance of gifts. Now, if you know anything about church history, you know that the church in Corinth, New Testament times, was a church that was having some real issues and required a lot of Paul's time. Issues of immorality, pride, misunderstanding of church doctrine, and so forth. And it's interesting to me that Paul addressed many of these issues by tying their problems to a lack of understanding of how they should use their gifts. The longest dissertation we have about spiritual gifts in the Bible is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it goes on into chapters 13, chapter 14. And Paul began that dissertation with these words in the first verse of chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I think by extension that applies to us. The New Testament writers wanted us to be informed about spiritual gifts because they're so important. And one of the ways we can sometimes assign importance to something in the Bible is by the amount of space, the amount of ink that's given to the subject. And using this criteria, we see that spiritual gifts are the subject of considerable discussion in a number of New Testament passages. I've already mentioned 1 Corinthians. We see gifts listed in Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and our verse today is part of 1 Peter 4. Another thing I think we should note about their importance is that it's important to our foundational theology. You know, some things in Scripture we can, uh, we can argue about, 
we can discuss and we can disagree on and really doesn't affect our core doctrine all that much. I mean, we can get in discussions about end times theology and the timing of the rapture. And I think right now there's a big discussion going on about the red moon that's going to appear tonight. Some some people are all up, all thinking that that has to do with the end times. And we can have those friendly discussions, and that's fine. But Paul presents the subject of spiritual gifts, and so does Peter, as very important to our spiritual journey. This is part of our basic information that every Christian needs to know about. And so I think the bottom line is that knowing about what the Bible says about our gifts is important to your journey, and especially to this community of believers. A local church will be healthy only when every member exercises his or her spiritual gift as a steward of God's grace, as Peter says. You did not earn your gift. It's called a gift. It was given to you. You're accountable for how you use it. That's why I like that definition, a community of spiritual gifts. Now, it's very hard to be a good steward of something if we don't know anything about it. So let's take a few minutes and explore this subject. What are spiritual gifts? How do we define them? What is their purpose? How do you find yours? Let's talk about purpose and definition for a minute. Simply stated, spiritual gifts are divinely endowed abilities which empower believers to perform spiritual ministries. They're special abilities. Peter says in our verse today they exist for what reason? To serve one another. Their purpose is to help others in their faith. A good definition comes from Bruce Bugby, founder and president of Network Ministries, he says, spiritual gifts are divine abilities distributed by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's design and grace for the common good of the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, Paul writes his introduction to the church in Rome with these words. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then in verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I'm glad he put that verse 12 in there because translated from the Greek, it's a little awkward in verse 11. It, it kind of indicates that Paul is giving them some gift. But in context, it means that he wants to give them the benefits of his gifts. I want to use what God has given me to strengthen you in your faith. He said it different ways in other epistles. To the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 3.2, he said, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. Throughout the epistles, it was Paul's purpose to strengthen believers in their faith. And he used his spiritual gifts to do that. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul makes it very clear that spiritual gifts are given at the discretion of the Holy Spirit. Given through the Spirit, he repeats. Capital S. You know, you may not have asked for your gift or even particularly desired it, 
The Holy Spirit gave it to you. They're for the purpose serving one another. They're called spiritual gifts, but let's not confuse that with spirituality. This was the problem in the Corinthian church. They were apparently a gifted church, but they were prone to pride and immorality. They sometimes elevated one gift over another in importance. They thought those who spoke in tongues were several steps higher on the spiritual scale than other people. And Paul had to correct that. Anyone who employs a spiritual gift and uses it to, to give himself or herself a spiritual high is missing the point. They're to benefit the church. They're to build up the church. Human nature is sometimes to tear things down. Spiritual gifts are to edify, to build up. What about the type of gifts? Well, you know, the fact that there's no one place in Scripture that lists all the gifts, a complete listing, kind of leads me to believe that maybe we don't need to get hung up on labeling them. As a leader of many uh, discipleship groups and as a pastor for a while, I was often asked the question, often approached by people who were curious about their spiritual gift. Maybe they didn't know what it was, and that bothered them. I'm not too concerned about that. I know there, are, you know, there are tests you can take that help you discern your gift, and I don't know, maybe those are worthwhile. But I think the important thing is, is you need to look for things that God is revealing to you about work that needs to be done. When you start asking, why isn't something getting done? Look out. God may be speaking to you. I know I've used my, my Old Testament friend Nehemiah in the Bible in many, many sermons. But, you know, and if you look at the first two chapters of Nehemiah, he's asking a question. Why isn't anybody going to Jerusalem and rebuilding the wall? The captivity's over. The Jews are returning home. Nobody's rebuilding the wall. And a, a city in New Testament or Old Testament times that didn't have a good wall around it, good gates, was not much of a city. And if you look at those two chapters, you see a four-month period of time went by, and he's praying and fasting about this question. And you know what he concludes? I guess I need to go rebuild the wall. And in the process, he discovered he had some real gifts, especially gift of leadership. Well, in our focus passage today in 1 Peter 4, if we were to go on to verse 11, Peter places spiritual gifts into two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Romans 12 emphasizes the diversity of gifts within one body working together. And I think as you read this, you can probably substitute the word gifts for members when he talks about the members of the body. In verse 4, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
And then he lists some. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation or encouragement, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I highlighted some of those gifts mentioned here, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contributing generously, leadership, mercy. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 10, I won't take the time to read it all, but it, it overlaps some of those, lists them again, but it adds some. It adds wisdom and knowledge, faith, healing, working of miracles, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And if you go on down in the chapter, he mentions helps, administration. Ephesians 4.11 adds apostleship, evangelism, shepherding as to pastoring. Peter mentions hospitality. And this may not be all. Because I don't believe the New Testament intended to put so much emphasis on labeling them as to be aware that you have one or more and you have that supernatural ability to serve. You can probably think of other ways to divide up the gifts. I mentioned uh, my ministry at Echo Ranch. And one year I'm leading the devotions during counselor training week. We had counselors that came from all over the United States, mostly from Bible colleges. And these were young people who were very mature in their faith. And most of them kind of knew where their gifts were coming, you know, which way their gifts were leaning. And so this one day I gave them an exercise. I said, you know, I've got a group of chairs up here in a circle and another group over here. And I want you to divide yourself into two groups. You divide yourself up. I'm going to call this group of gifts the mercy gifts, the encouragers. Those of you who think you just really enjoy your interpersonal relations, you're good encouragers, you extend mercy to people, gift of helps. I want you to put yourself over here. And over here, let's call this the administrators, the leaders. If you see yourself as kind of business-oriented, administrative type, would you put yourself over here? Well, they divided themselves up. It was almost 50-50. I think they did a pretty good job. And then I had an exercise for them. I said, here's, here's the assignment. An elderly couple in your church has just been involved in a terrible automobile accident, and you're called to the hospital. When you get there, you learn that the husband has died, has passed on. What are you going to do? Then I floated around between the groups to listen to the discussion, and it was fascinating. The mercy group, they were saying things like, oh gosh, this is terrible. She's lost her husband. We need to just be there and pray with her. We need to hold her hand. We need to make sure the children know. And, and I mean, they were just practically crying. You know what the administration group was saying? wonder what they did with the towed car. Uh, we better make sure she gets enough death certificates so she can deal with Social Security and life insurance and what was so funny was that the leader of the counselors that year, a young man who thought he ought to be in the leadership 
administration group put himself over there, and he didn't belong there. And he was appalled at what they were talking about. You're talking about death certificates? She just lost her husband. They kicked him out and sent him over to the other group. <laughs> but you know what? We need both groups. We have to have both of them. And they have to work together. There's a story of a sea captain who got in an argument with his chief engineer about who was the most important to the ship. They couldn't resolve their argument, so they decided to trade places for a day. So the captain went down below to the engine room, and the chief engineer came up to the bridge. After about two hours, the captain comes up, and he's all covered with oil and soot, and he says, Chief, you've got to come down here. I can't make her go. And the chief says, of course you can't, because I just ran her aground. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating in the church when people try to accomplish things which they were never intended to attempt. Another point here is that gifts may overlap. We've talked about this a little bit before, but the Bible says you've received a special gift, but I think there's sufficient evidence to note that you all have all of the gifts to a degree. It's just that some gifts you excel in. You have that special ability in. I mean, we all need the gift of knowledge, don't we? But yet some people just enjoy research and just uh, uh, just studying things and have, have that knowledge in their head. We all need wisdom. But let's face it, I mean, some people have more wisdom than other people. By the way, I, I noted in, I mentioned this to our community group the other night. I noted in 1 Corinthians 12 that the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge were listed separately in that passage. I like to use this example to explain what maybe Paul meant. Let's, I use the example of a wooden match. You may have the knowledge of how a match works. You may know that on the end of that stick of wood there's some chemical like sulfur or something that has a low kindling temperature and, and it's on a piece of low porous wood that also has a low kindling temperature and when you scrape that on a rough surface like sandpaper it excites the molecules and generates heat and, and ignites the wood. That's knowledge. But knowing not to do that in a room filled with gasoline fumes, that's wisdom. And we need both. We all need the gift of giving generously. But some people just seem to have the ability to make more money so they can give more. We had a board member at Echo Ranch who had come up through the camp as a camper, a counselor, and went on to California to become a very successful businessman. It seemed like no matter what he did, turned to money. And the more money he made, the more money he gave to the camp. Now, I apparently don't have that gift, but you know what? I learn about giving from those who do. You may not have the gift of teaching, but sooner or later you're going to have to teach something, and you learn how to teach from those who are gifted as teachers. We all need the gift of faith, don't we? But I suspect we all know people who have an extraordinary amount of faith. How fun to be around. Is there a difference between natural ability and spiritual gifts? I think there is. 
Since spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit as He wills, we're born with our natural talents. Our gifts come when we're born again. I think I shared in my last sermon about my boyhood Sunday school teacher, a guy named Norman. Norman would not have been a good teacher by the world's standards. He barely made it through high school himself. But boy, did he, could he teach the Bible to us boys. He had that gift of teaching. Now, having said that, I know people who have natural ability in certain areas that coincide with their gifts. I know people who are naturally talented in music who use that ability very well in the church. Here's something maybe you hadn't thought about. Another point, spiritual gifts and God's will. Knowing your spiritual gift or gifts will help greatly in discerning what God's will is for your spiritual journey. The choice of your occupation and role within the church should take into account whether or not it will facilitate your spiritual gift and whether your gift can facilitate the task that you see. You know, we just don't have time to do everything that we see that needs doing in the body of believers. And if you know for sure that you do not have the gift of teaching, then take that into account if somebody asks you to be a teacher. Someone quipped that if you think you have the gift of preaching, you better make sure somebody has the gift of listening. <laughs> I think there's a very distinct relationship between discerning the will of God for you and understanding your spiritual gift. Romans 12 speaks to this. First six verses. You probably know the first two verses. Right? We've used them as memory verses before. First two verses, Paul talks about discerning the will of God. And then in verses 3 to 6, he ties that to your spiritual gifts. Let's read that. Verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And then he goes on to kind of tie it to spiritual gifts. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's kind of what Peter was saying. For as in one body we have many members, you can substitute gifts, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. I don't know if you've ever thought of spiritual gifts that way. That's something that can help determine what God's will is for you. When you start exercising your gift, God's will becomes apparent. Final point, let's discuss finding your gift a little bit more. How we react to life situations may be a reflection of our gifts. Say you're in a restaurant with a group of Christians. And here comes the waitress with a tray, a big tray full of food and she spills it all over everything. The person with the gift of helps responds immediately by concentrating on cleaning up the mess. The person with the gift of giving offers to pay for another meal. 
The exhorter seeks to cheer up the waitress. The administrator delegates and organizes the cleanup to get the mess handled as efficiently as possible. The teacher suggests ways that this can be avoided in the future. <laughs> in that example, people responded and reacted to things uh, that they saw needed doing. It's going to be impossible for the teacher to sit in a class and not raise his or her hand to contribute something to the discussion. It's going to be difficult for a person with the gift of giving not to be sensitive to the financial needs of the church. It'd be hard for the administrator to sit in a meeting that's disorganized where nothing seems to be getting done. A person with the gift of hospitality can't imagine a group getting together without the coffee pot on or a snack being offered. Amen. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> when people ask me what I think their gift is, I say, what do you see the needs doing? Well, there's a lot more we could say about spiritual gifts. And I've chosen not to get into some of the controversial aspects that some people raise. Uh, particularly, a lot of people wonder whether all of the gifts that are listed in the New Testament at, as the Christian movement was getting under underway, have those continued into this age? Personally, I don't think all of them have. Uh, I mean, when the Christian movement was getting started, we didn't even have a Bible codified yet. And so God was speaking to people through the, the apostles and others in ways uh, that we saw kind of phase out even through the timeline of the New Testament. Um, gifts of prophecy, gifts of tongues and things begin to kind of phase out if you look at a timeline of the New Testament. Gift of apostleship is mentioned in Ephesians. By definition, an apostle is one who had seen the risen Lord. In that sense, it would be very difficult to have an apostle today. But that discussion isn't the point here this morning. The emphasis of Stapleton Fellowship Church at this time is on the community and the need for each of us to get involved. Twenty-some-odd years ago, Saddleback Church in California, which was led by Pastor Rick Warren, it had grown to about 500 people. And he came up one Sunday morning and said, Folks, I've about reached the limit of what I can do. He says, I read the Bible. I, I understand I'm not supposed to do it all anyway, so I'm going to make a contract with you. He said, My contract is this. If you will exercise your spiritual gifts and do what you're supposed to be doing in the body, then I'll do my part, which is to feed you. He said they symbolically shook hands on that contract, and from that moment on, his church just exploded in size. And you know where Saddleback is today. We need each and every one of you and the gifts that you bring. Are you one who thinks that your contribution is just so small it doesn't really matter? There's a story of a huge orchestra having a rehearsal with a hundred voice choir. A lot of people, a lot of noise, horns blaring, cymbals clashing, voices. One little piccolo player, one lady in the back, looked at all that and said, with all this noise, they don't need me. And she quit playing. A minute later, the conductor stopped the music, looked right at the piccolo player and said, doesn't sound right without you. We need you. We need each and every one of you. 